You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARKU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. But it's exactly it is who wants to wait on, you know, wait on hold on a phone call and who wants to wait in line somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the type of government model and services that anybody wants to create, anybody wants to deliver, and certainly nobody wants to experience. And this time tax is, I think, a great way to take outcome driven decision making and then make it real and tangible and something that anybody can appreciate and enjoy. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And during today's episode, we're going to unpack the recently announced executive order around customer experience within the government. The Biden administration is looking to make public-facing services across the federal government easier to access. During the announcement, it was said that the executive order will make government work more effectively so that it's not as confusing and much more straightforward. The order directs agencies to modernize programs, reduce administrative burdens, and pilot new online tools and technologies that can provide a simple and seamless customer experience. In the order, they call out when a disaster survivor, single parent, immigrant, small business owner, or veteran waits months for the government to process benefits to which they are entitled. The lost time is a significant cost, not only for that individual, but an aggregate for our nation as a whole. And another thing that they've looked at as well is by reducing these times it takes to engage with the agencies, they're focusing on a time tax that's going to be essentially refunded to citizens by having a much more seamless experience. And today I've invited Justin Herman to join me to walk through this executive order a little bit and talk about what it means. Justin is the global head of public sector at Twilio, a customer experience organization. And before he joined Twilio back in 2019, he was heading up the emerging technologies area within GSA. While he was at GSA, he pushed agencies to expand their use of RPA, AI, blockchain, virtual reality, and other innovative technologies. And before that, he oversaw a portfolio of efforts to connect with citizens using social media. Like me, he's also an advisor to the G20 Global Smart City Alliance with the World Economic Forum, which I know we're going to touch a bit on in this episode as well. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. No, thank you so much uh, for having me. I, I, I've been listening for a bit. Uh, you, you, you know, this program's exciting, and I'm just happy to share some thoughts and ideas with you. I appreciate that. And you and I have been going back and forth a little bit um, in the lead up to this, and I, I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, before we jump into it, I think I would be remiss if I didn't call out the recent executive order around citizen experience. And there's a a piece in this that I, I think really frames up what you and I are going to be talking about today and kind of sums up the value that government can really bring to its stakeholders. I'm going to start here. It's every interaction between the federal government and the public, whether it involves renewing a passport or calling for a status update on a farm loan application, it should be seen as an opportunity for the government to save an individual's time and thus reduce time taxes and to deliver a level of service that the public expects and deserves. 
by demonstrating that its processes are and are effective and efficient, in addition to being fair, protective of privacy interests and transparent, the federal government can build public trust. Further, the federal government's management of its customer experience and service delivery should be driven fundamentally by the voice of the customer through human-centered design methodologies, empirical customer research, and understanding of behavioral science and user testing, especially for digital services and other mechaniz mechanisms of engagement. I love this statement. Everything about it, I think this frames up what the EO is really trying to do. A couple things that that really I want to call out. One, the reduction of time taxes. We, we always talk about how the public sector isn't really an ROI type of type of market, type of industry. But to me, this screams ROI, right? I'm getting my time back. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. I, I, that's what's, I think, provocative and exciting about it. And, you know, you and I have both, you know, been in this community for a long time. And this is the first time that I, I'm really seeing not just someone saying we have outcome driven, you know, metrics or outcome driven performance, but actually assigning it in this time tax is underscoring that it's it's not enough to give access and it's not enough to you know build community uh or have an experience but that those things are derived around having the most efficient experience possible and i think it goes to a, a great you know respect for the customer uh and and, and a lot of the years of development and listening to feedback of what people want, which when it comes to public services, people want to get the services that they pay for through taxes that they deserve and they need, and then they want to go on with their lives. They want to have the most effective and efficient access possible with government that has trust, transparency, and then they move on with the things more important to them in life. And I don't know, that, Justin, I like waiting in line at the, at the DMV, don't you? Well, it depends. I, mean, I have been pretty lonely lately during COVID, so I might like uh, meeting more people in line. But it's exactly it: is who wants to wait on, you know, wait on hold on a phone call, and who wants to wait in line somewhere? Mm -hmm. It's it's not the type of government model and services that anybody wants to create, anybody wants to deliver, and certainly nobody wants to experience. And this time tax is, I think, a great way to take outcome driven decision making and then make it real and tangible and something that anybody can appreciate and enjoy. Another thing I want to call out here is I don't think I said the word citizen once when I was saying this. No, it's actually when you first introduced the executive oh, order, the, Yeah, there you go. My tea and I was like, uh oh, we're gonna talk about this one. Well and here we're going. It's customer experience. That is what the government is framing this around. It's it's the customer. Yeah. And it's it's the way we need to be looking at things. It's it's not a difference between customer expectations and citizen expectations. We're all kind of consuming services, whether it's from the private sector, from the public sector, and we're all customers. So I love that this really encapsulates that. And I know you and I had a conversation really few before. I know you're excited about that one too. Oh, definitely. For years, this has been an issue and for multiple reasons. One, so then when you talk about, okay, we're trying to improve the, the citizen experience, the immediate thing that comes up is, well, what about underserved communities, um, people who are not citizens who need services? And it always will come up in conversation. And then people who work on this have to say, well, we're kind of using a different industry term that has a broader reach. But either way, it was always a cop-out. And but it's a term that people had to use when talking about the citizen experience because this is what's in policy, this is what's in legislation. 
Um, and the whole community was really othering themselves by making it so we had to have some unique terminology that set us apart that in a way also held us back. So the minute I start seeing these executive orders and the new memos coming out, redefining customer experience, and again, across the board, it's customer experience. I mean, I turned to my team here and I was like, now we can change. Now we can stop having to say, well, we're, we're just reflecting what you know the White House memos say or what other people understand. And finally, we can look at these kind of services on par with where they need to be. So it, it's little things like that, like that seem little, like referencing a time tax or all of a sudden universally scrubbing the reliance on citizen experience and seeing for what it was, the customer experience itself. Um, that makes these recent moves by the White House, the administration, and agencies across government so so compelling and exciting, and honestly, sometimes a little bit provocative in the absolute best ways possible. It's the bold thinking and the not taking any aspect of it for granted that's going to lift up the levels uh, across the board. When I th- I think when I when I listen to this statement. What it really does for me is it shows that finally the federal government is going to put its stakeholder in the center of everything, right? It's, they talk about human-centered design. They're talking about leveraging behavioral science and user testing and, and all of this. They're really, at, at the heart of it, trying to understand what, what me as a citizen or me as a customer really wants putting me at the center of, of that service deployment and then scaling it out. Is that something that you captured here as well? Definitely. Uh, and even let's look at the term again, and I, I don't mean to go back to it, but let's, uh, on customer is because so many of the, the best customer experiences in public services must start with employee experience modernization. And when we're looking at the customer of public services, we can also take those lessons that we're rapidly learning for the end user, for the beneficiary, and we could turn the tables and look inwards. Because mm-hmm. if we're not rapidly modernizing our workforce and taking those customers and seeing our employees as the customers and beneficiaries of this modernization, one side or the other can't work without them both modernizing together. And it's those details, again, that are locked in these these words that make them so powerful. Completely agree. In fact, I, I've gone as far as to call it the government experience. And, and you're not just focusing on the citizen or the customer. You're not just focusing on the employee, but it's the holistic government experience. Because really, and, and we've probably belabored this point on other episodes as well, but it's freeing up those, those internal operators um, to be more strategic on behalf of their stakeholders, giving them the type of experience and engage and allowing them to engage in things that are higher value. I mean, you can look back at the the presidential management agenda from the last yeah. uh, last administration where they shifted from low value to high value work. Really, it, this is the perfect example of that. Is I, I don't know of a higher value work than being able to directly impact from a strategic level um, the future of a citizen. So I think that's kind of what we're looking at. And, and like I said, I've called it the government experience because they really just go hand in hand. You shouldn't even call you shouldn't even call it one thing or the other. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Brian, it's a new year. I think you and I both maybe have some some predictions or some insights on where things are going. And uh, I, I know we're still, you know, we're warming up and getting into this, but I think we're about to start veering into some of that conversation because one of the things that 
was always a challenge, I think, with the customer experience in government was the thought that, you know, it's the field of dreams mentality was out there. If we build it, they will come. Because people need public services, this entire experience wasn't looked at holistically because the thoughts were, well, because people need these benefits, therefore we don't have to look at that holistically because if we build it, they're going to come anyways. And that entire approach was utter rubbish, um, if we can be you know, forthright with this. And it leads to this entire generation of these public services that are well-meaning. They might have a digital front door. Uh, you know, and other terms that we've heard again and again and again. But when the rubber meets the road on looking at the efficiency and efficacy uh, and the accessibility, it failed to meet that that par that we need. So one of the things that I would put at one of the top of my looking forward into the new year that excites me and, and looks at what's really going to foundationally um, change public services, it's not just that there's going to be a proliferation of citizen-centered experiences and, you know, new technologies, which obviously we're going to talk about, but it's the data-driven insights, mm-hmm. is there's going to have to be a complete overhaul in the performance and data analysis based on these new experiences that take it and make it actionable and digestible to people in the field, make it, you know, ready and usable and more accessible to the customers themselves, whether they're, you know, the beneficiaries or they're their employees who are just trying to do better and trying to deliver that kind of experience that people need. Um, You know, Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I was always a big fan of saying, but the the unanalyzed uh, and the the ununderstood uh, government performance program is not worth executing because so many times people will start making gut reactions or they'll say, okay, well, we're using a, you know, an emerging technology or a new approach and we can't possibly quantify this in the same way that we do our other programs and we can't report on another way. That approach and, and, and tying that into the if we build it, they will come approach has just um, it's led to an entitlement, really, that people that government could put out whatever it wants and people are going to use it anyways. There is about to be a groundswell and revolution happen, not just in the services provided, but also how we look at them, how we understand them, uh, and how we make that data actionable and digestible that I really put at the forefront uh, and insights. We can just put it all under, you know, customer experience insights that are going to revolutionize public service delivery. One of the things I've always struggled with when it comes to customer experience in government is what is that impetus? So are you saying that the, and this is kind of my belief at least, is that those outcomes are the impetus um, because there isn't a, a monetary factor, right? If I'm, if I'm Amazon or if I'm, if I'm some private sector company out there, I'm trying to deliver the best customer experience I can because I'm trying to capture market share. Yeah. I'm trying to increase my revenue and my bottom line. Government doesn't have that challenge per se, I have no choice. I have to use them. So when you look at what the what the impetus is for the federal government, state, local governments to optimize their digital experiences moving forward, what would you say that is? Well, there is. It's not passing the buck on this, but that public servants can only use the solutions 
that are made available to them, that they can compliantly uh, and in a trusted manner deploy. And that is 100% financially motivated for the companies to go through those processes. So one of the things that used to bother me the most, and you know, as almost 10 years at GSA, uh, working with agencies across government on this is everyone would start their conversations with, well, you know, government's 10 years behind on this delivery. And they would act like in a way that public servants themselves and that they're thinking and that their approach to this is 10 to five years behind. And I would sit there on panels and, you know, and I'd read these interviews and publications and I'd be like, this is infuriating because there is no public servants that I knew at least, that would come to work to the day and said, I'm going to put together a subpar customer experience. I'm going to know that my family and my community and people who needed better access to public services, they, they're not going to have it today because I just want to be five or 10 years behind. It's that right now, it's like they could only use and like we, we see this with FedRAMP and we see this with contracting vehicles is it's the it's the customer service platforms that will go through the compliance stance mm -hmm. and make themselves available to public services that too often can determine exactly how great something can and cannot be. And oftentimes, as we know, some of the best companies out there, they don't make that investment. They yeah. don't, they don't go through the dance. Therefore, they're not available to public services. And therefore, people can say that public services are behind when really it's the thinking of the private sector that's been behind in their investment in these. You're scratching and, an issue real quick. I, I want to get your opinion on this because yeah. I, I, I've been, I've been pretty vocal about programs like this. I, I, while I completely understand that they, they have to be there in some form or fashion. Compliance is obviously important, especially at the scale that we're talking, but at, at what cost? It's inhibiting some of the innovation that could happen in government. I think FedRAMP's a really good example where you have, exactly like you said, you have some of these really cutting edge technologies of, of smaller companies that, that frankly don't have the, the financial ability to invest millions and millions of dollars to become FedRAMP compliant, nor do they have 12 to 18 months of time to, to figure out if they're market viable. So what are your thoughts here? I, I really think there would be so much more innovation if we could find a way to bridge whatever gap that is. I, I mean, as massive as it is, whatever we want to call that gap. Oh, definitely. And I, I think this happens every day. And it's an undefined space right now. But obviously, number one priority is if you're deploying with public services, and in order to maintain that trust, security must be number one. Trust must be number one mm -hmm. right up there with it. It's, it's something you can't get around. But that being said, is, is just that is how do we bridge the gap and make it so new technologies that are used every day by consumers can then transfer over into the public sector space? And you're right. It, it takes a level of dedication right now that some people are able to make and others aren't able to make. But one of the interesting things about COVID is not just that, you know, people say it's quickly modernized and we've done our own studies on how many years, you know, more advanced digital transformation is. But I get calls every day from companies that are, you know, they're pre-IPO. They're, they're very new, they're on the rise, and they're being told straight up, they're like, you need to verticalize public sector earlier on uh, in the development and maturity of your company. And 
part of it is because of the financial incentive is that because of you know spending and reliance on you know both covid services and now we see the infrastructure budget going through is that it's far more attractive for these innovative companies to make that jump and to become available for public services than it was before and that really is one of the driving factors again it's not just that you know, COVID and, and recent years have changed the government's thinking on what customer experience can be. It has changed industries thinking on what they can be for public services. And it's part of like, there's an entire supply chain. And it's not just, you know, we talk about the supply chain crisis itself. But in a way, in customer experience and public services, we've had a supply chain crisis, because all of the blame and all of the side eye always gets put to, well, government was behind on providing these services. But it's like when we look at the executive order, human-centered design. I mean, some of the best minds that I know in human-centered design are found within public services themselves. Looking across the board, it's like all the ingredients are there. But when we look at the supply chain, do these public services have access to the technologies that they need to actualize and to deploy and implement that vision that they've always had? The answer oftentimes looking back has been no. And so that's one of the more exciting, again, if we could put a pin in this for predictions going forward, is that finally industry is going to be catching up with providing access to their services, to public services, who then in part can take those, can take the feedback and can take those, the, the knowledge of the customer that they've always had and make it real and make it tangible and, you know, make those lines shorter, <laughs> as we say it, yeah. around the time tax, because you have to look at the entire supply chain and there's been a supply chain crisis. And I see that this year starting to finally, you know, finally be able to, to free up. When I think the availability of those technologies is also going to change the mindset of how government approaches challenges too. When, when there's more availability, there's going to be less reliance on, let's just try to build this ourselves. And we have little pockets of that type of innovation. And I've had some of those folks on the show. Uh, I mean, Aiden Feldman over at, at 18F uh, with yeah. the GSA. So you, you're probably familiar with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hannah, Hannah Hunt over at uh, Army Software Factory. And we've, we take a look at, at Kessel Run over in the Air Force. I think those are really shining examples of where you can really leverage public-private partnerships create like an incubation space to solve some of the biggest challenges that are within government without just going under the covers yourself and trying to figure it all out without without having that availability of some of the technologies and i'm i'm thinking the success there as well as the availability whether it's compliance or what have you of some of these other private sector technologies uh even some of the the more cutting edge ones is going to change that mindset and hopefully drive not only more rapid adoption, but more innovation. You just, um, so you said some magic words, public-private partnerships. And, you know, both of us are, you know, we're part of the World Economic Forum, you know, advisors to the, the G20 Global Smart Cities Alliance. And one of the projects, or the project that I, I've been supporting with them is rethinking public-private partnerships, um, specifically when it comes to smart cities. And, you know, and public services, it, it's not new. 
having public private partnerships. It's, you know, state department has had groundbreaking programs on it. It's, it's been around for a long time. It's proliferated, but it is ripe for disruption and innovation and leveling up. And part of that in changing the thinking, because, you know, it's the public private partnerships and the understanding between industry and government that is that handshake that needs to happen more and it has to happen more effectively and efficiently. But it's lacked sometimes, again, the rubber meets the road metrics and insights and understanding of the experience for industry, for government. What are the intentions? What brings people to the table? What gets them coming back to the table? It's that entire layer that has been a, a black box, essentially. And that's one of the things that we can more greatly start unlocking. And also this this ties again now to the third really kind of big prediction that I have on this is it's not just the digital space that I see being unlocked in this coming year, but it's stretching into the physical space with IoT. And, you know, the internet of things and, and smart cities has been around, but we look at now, especially again, lessons learned during COVID, that operating in the physical space can be just as important as obviously in the digital space. And we know this now because of obviously we're greatly more sensitive to how things physically operate than we might have been before. Nothing else, because I don't want somebody coughing within six feet of me. But obviously it trails into what we see with supply chain and across the board. But now with the legislation around infrastructure coming, which has the potential to even dwarf in scale and scope what we've been working on with COVID, is that we are able to now take some of these new customer experiences, these new insights, and empower and unlock the power of smart cities and IoT in ways that have never been done before. When I look at some of the the experiences that they've had um, with smart cities, sometimes even the most well-meaning deployment, deployments of technologies have seen as interlopers, as because as, there's no trust, because people will take devices and sensors and embed them into communities that don't have a full understanding of why it's there, how the data is being used. It's instead of being seen as a solution and a, and a augment to improvements in their daily life, smart cities and IoT technology could be seen as a, a hindrance and or as something as is as, as not trusted. And so that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is when we're looking at you know customer experience, we're looking at these these data driven insights the human-centered design, is how is this being used in the physical space to ensure that when IoT is deployed in communities, which it will be because, and we know this because of the infrastructure uh, budgets and mandates that are coming through, we have the opportunity to rethink and, and make sure that these are designed and deployed from the start with feedback, public participation, public private partnerships. It's not just the deployment of technology. It is the cultivation of an experience itself that was not being done successfully before. And now, now this year in 2022, we wholesale can start achieving that. And that for me, is terribly exciting. You know, Justin, my, my wife and I were sitting on the couch uh, in our sunroom last night, and we, we started talking about all the different projects that we've tackled in the house over the past year with COVID. I think a lot of people probably have where you're home and you're just, you're, you see things and you want to work on them. And I think 
what we found as as we were moving, like talking about project to project in the sunroom, we were sitting in there because that's one we we kind of just have have worked on and finished, is how one project uncovers another project, or uncovers another project. It, they're all interrelated. Yeah. And the longer I've been working in the public sector, I found that all of these technologies and all of these these areas of focus, especially around digital transformation, are interrelated. And I'm so glad you brought up IoT because it's not just about digital experience, like you said, on um, on a, a tablet or a mobile device or, or your laptop. It's about the physical experience as well and what that looks like and how they come together. And I think it's not only just a, a customer-facing type of approach as well, but you take a look at the, the future of government work and you have smart workplaces. And how do those fit into the citizen ecosystem that's taking place outside of those walls? All of that kind of flows together and it's all about creating that holistic experience. And I think the area that I'm really excited about when we take a look at all of these is all, and we touched on it earlier, all of the data that is going to come from, from us kind of just living our lives in the way that we're living our lives and how that can get be better. But the flip side of that, and you even touched on it, there can be a hindrance, right? There's a privacy issue. There's a, a security issue. Is, is the data that you're getting from me, one, being used in, in an ethical way? And two, is it secure? Is somebody going to hack into your system tomorrow and steal it? And these are all important conversations that need to be had, but I'm really excited about what this next year is going to bring to kind of that, that merging of holistic experience. I mean, think of it this way, Brian, imagine taking 311, you know, we see 311 obviously across the country Mm -hmm. and it gives services, level of access and transparency at people's fingertips where they are, any device. Now imagine a smart city Backed, and we're we're combining the frontline customer experience that we know is available, we know it's achievable, we know it's deployable, and merging that with the physical space. So it's not enough to have these sensors, but there's ways to have better feedback, better transparency into it, where people again, it goes from like a big brotherish feel to something where people can feel like these things are are an extension of their capability to benefit from their community. And again, it's terribly exciting to see that it's like two things that are readily available right now. How can those things merge in thinking uh, into something that makes both so much greater for the whole? Uh, that That's terribly exciting about it. And it, I think it, it goes to a lot of what we see on the maturity scale of, of things advancing here uh, across the board is what does a community really mean? And what, what, what are the things that people want to expect from public services and the customer experience that, that they might not have been getting in public services? It's like, you know, and not to, you know, bring up, you know, controversial or, or provocative things, but when I'm sitting there and looking at NIFs, you know, non-fungible tokens and, and the metaverse that are, you know, covering headlines right now. And then, so it's like, I, I put on my Oculus you know, headset, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to check out the metaverse. And these things are like going through Minecraft, like, like kind of like the vision of what's being shared for this is not what it is today. Or when people are talking about, oh, you know, 
lot of people are investing money in NIFs, uh, et cetera, but is it actually value creation? I think we're looking at this all the wrong way. I, when I'm reading up and studying on this stuff, it's you see time and time again, people are talking about, yeah, there's the investment side, but you know there's a community behind it. You know there's a level of access and you get X, Y, and Z. And, I, and I'm fascinated by this because when you're taking new technology, and I know because, again, I you know had this experience when we created the Emerging Technologies for Citizen Services um, which I guess now would be called for customer services program at GSA is anytime these new technology solutions that might not be fully baked were being touted as the next great thing. It's not to look at it isn't to advocate for that technology solution, but to understand why. If these things like the metaverse and NIFs are being touted as the current and future of everything, and but we know by looking at it that it's just not there yet. What's the why behind it? And what are those experiences and what are what is that community that people are longing for and that there's gaps in? And how can we take that, extrapolate it, and then apply it to our thinking on human-centered design for public services? Um, and that's something I think in it's not really a prediction, but it's an opportunity for us right now is that we're experiencing that groundswell and that massive change in, in thinking that I haven't seen in a decade of working in, you know, in, in emerging technologies for public services. And that means it's not just the rush to deploy new things, but to change our thinking and to look around and see why things are happening, especially things that we might not readily understand. Um, and use that to answer questions that we have. I mean, what what you've obviously because you wake up every day, uh, therefore some of this stuff has been inescapable to you, especially <laughs> uh, NIFs and things like you know. From your expertise, what, what's your thinking around it? So, if if I'm being honest on the on on those, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what to think. I mean, uh, part of me kind of takes a look at it, and I don't understand the value of it. But part of it could be my my age. I'm a little bit old. I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy old. I'm, I'm coming up on 40, but, um, I think it's just a new thing that I don't understand. Um, not to say I won't or, or don't want to understand, especially how it fits into this ecosystem, but I'm yeah. not as speed in terms of the metaverse. I'm, I'm really intrigued. The, I mean, my, my son got a, a Oculus for Christmas. Yeah. And I think when you think about the ability to, to go out beyond your walls um, in a number of ways. Just it, one of the one of the things that comes preloaded on, it, I think, is something called Wander, and you can literally walk around the world. And this is something that is putting areas of the world within reach to people that never would have thought about touching these areas. So, yeah, to me, the the ability for it to um, change the way we think about experience, I think is, is pretty infinite. If you, if you take a look at what COVID's done, um, in the, the incredible increase in just online shopping from a, uh, from an everyday standpoint, yeah. like, uh, like your groceries being able to either uh, one, have them delivered two have them pre-ordered and you drive up and they're just dropped off. But what if you could put on a VR headset and walk around a store. Now you can literally, you as the customer can have the same exact experience or close to the same exact experience as 
walking into a Target or or uh, Whole Whole Foods or whatever you're doing um, to get to choose your your groceries. And on the flip side of that, now you're giving the companies that do their marketing in store the same ability to to market to you or to engage you. Um, I think the that's really exciting. And I don't know what that's going to look like in the future. Obviously there's going to be a lot of conversation around it, but I think, again, I think the, the ability for that to scale things out and change the way we think about, um, engaging with, with vendors, um, will certainly change from that capacity. Definitely. What, so I would say the government office, uh, that has most shaped my thinking. Um, when I look at, customer experience and, you know, the, the entire public service experience itself has been the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability and Employment Policy, um, which I believe is just, frankly, one of the most forward-thinking um, and impactful single government programs there are, because a lot of what they've been focusing on partially amidst all the other great work that they do was that they were early acknowledgers and partners and backers and really pioneers in looking at how emerging technologies, when they're employed in public services, ensure access, access to all persons with disabilities. But as as you know, Brian, accessible uh, programs are just better design programs for absolutely everyone, whether it's the aging population, people with different bandwidth. So much of the key to what we need public services to be can be addressed through greater accessibility. And this program has been the front lines on it. So when on June 25th, the executive order came out on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the workforce, that was one of the most exciting days for me, because it's that forward thinking recognition that as we're preparing these other executive orders on customer experience and stuff, that we have to ensure that accessibility, diversity, equity, inclusion are at the forefront of design and not just some feature that gets added after the fact. And so when we're looking at, like, for instance, you know, when you're talking about Wander and all these different experiences, the more especially, Brian, now that we're going into hybrid work environments, Being able to look through that prism and to ensure that whether it's in person, physically manifested, supported and enhanced by IoT, or it is the entire digital experience online, and oftentimes someone's workflow is going to cross into two, as long as we are ensuring that there's greater, you know, accessibility from the front and equity inclusion in this this build, we are ensuring those kind of experiences, whether it's employee, citizen, customer, you, me, our communities, our families, that's the kind of public services that we need. And sure, these executive orders put it on paper. They give it the words that we need. But also, it's the industry coming to the table and finally unlocking and making so people can use these these new innovations compliantly within government. It is this perfect storm, Brian, I think that is making 2022 probably going to be the most exciting um, and momentous year for the advancement and, and rethinking of public service delivery itself. And I'll tell you, I'm, I, I, it probably comes out of my words. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to, to not just 
be able to tackle things that we have known for so long or challenges that maybe we're just tangibly out of reach on solutions to also things that, and again, when we have the conversation about, you know, different community development NIFs, what, what is that next level of, of looking? It's, it, this is a terribly exciting time. And also it's a critical time because if we don't get it right, if these advancements were not happening, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I, I wouldn't want to dare think, how the the negative impact we have no choice but to do better and to bravely move forward on it and i'm just excited to see what the community is going to come up with when i think the critical nature of it is really underlined in this executive order not just the release of it but if if you scroll through and kind of read read through and if you haven't haven't done it uh those listening i definitely recommend you do they they get pretty granular on the changes that they want to see at the levels and the the agencies that they want to see it and how they how they're taking a look at challenges. So I think you can see that there's there's some fairly large gaps that they're looking to fill with this executive order. And and we talked earlier before about uh, impetus. And I think not filling these gaps is is one obviously, but the other is is draconian necessity. Right? Yeah. It's it's COVID. Um, I think we're getting into a position now, at least within the United States. Um, I think other countries are are probably uh, might be different evolutions here, but where we might be going into another lockdown or closer close to a lockdown as we got when it first tipped off. Um, so I think the the criticality of of need is going to be a driving force um, and an impetus for not only government to create, but for customers to adopt. Yeah. I think that's the other driving piece of this that we didn't even touch on um, during our, our conversation today is the adoption rate is really high right now because it has to be. And I think that's also changed the the way we think about things as customers and the ability for, for government to think about how they can meet their customers where they are, which I yeah. think is a really exciting time. Maybe hey, I know we're getting to time here. I, I think we were remiss too. It's like something that's, and it, it goes to show the scope and scale of what's about to happen is the new president's management agenda mm-hmm. that came out number two priority customer service uh, and these experience enhancements. And if you look, the mission areas that are carved out, these are not just subject to federal government agencies. This is something that's replicable and understandable and, and critical at every single level of public service development, state, local, federal, global. It's like looking at like one of our key mission areas was retirement. And it's like, there's no just like one agency that owns retirement. This is something that the entire retirement experience can be found, you know, external and benefits, internal to public service agencies. It's in delivery of services at the local level. It's this entire network and food chain, again, and supply chain that that represents this. So a lot of times when we talk about the executive orders, it says four federal agencies. I mean, delete that. Uh, they got to put that in the policy because obviously with funding and, you know, staying within mandates, but these executive orders are reshaping and going to reshape and impact public service delivery at every single facet and every level of public service delivery from our smallest communities, cities on the federal level 
the entire supply chain is being looked at. And if you're reading these executive orders and memos and think that these things are limited in scale to one program just because it's named, um, I think people are missing the big picture and the big opportunity in front of us to create this, this generational change that is called for and is now achievable uh, in front of us in 2022. Justin, I, if you can't tell by my voice, I, I thoroughly enjoy these type of conversations. So I appreciate you being on. And unfortunately, we do have to to bring it to a close. I'd love to keep going. But before we do, I want to give you a chance to leave any final thoughts that you might have for the listeners. Oh, thanks. Uh, and again, thank you again for having me. I, you know, I'm, I'm snowed in today, so I don't think I could go anywhere else uh, <laughs> on the weather. But uh, I think what really wraps it up and looking forward to 2022 is that in order to create the change, the widespread change at the scale and scope that is what's needed, we couldn't have bits and pieces of it. It wasn't enough just to have one executive order saying, great, we need more digital front doors. They've been doing that for over a decade. That's not new. It's not enough to just if another independent action was to tweak the definition of something or to put all of the the weight on the shoulders of a public servant who has no individual ability to change regulation or access or what tools they can and can't use. What we are seeing, what we are experiencing right now, all at once, one after another after another, is another unlocking of a door. We know now more technology is being made available and put into hands, actionable, digestible, and deployable to public services. From, it, from the way the words are being defined to providing the new metrics and shining light on you know, outcome delivery like the time tax is what we're looking at is a complete overhaul of the entire supply chain of, and the entire food chain itself of what is the customer experience. It took this, it took a complete at every level of that experience overhaul in order for us to achieve the goals that we have. But guess what? They're somehow happening and they're somehow happening all at once because they must. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, Brian, and when we talk and with or meet with our public servant friends who are tirelessly working every day in order to meet the demands is now we have got all sorts of things, all sorts of ammo that we never had before. Well, now we've got it. So what the hell are we going to do about it together? And that's that's daunting, it's challenging, it's exciting, and it's now. And we've got to ask this now, and we're going to deliver on it. And that's what makes, I think, this is going to be such a mo- monumental year in the rethinking of public service delivery. And I'm just, I'm just glad to be, that we all get to be a part of it. I'm excited about 2022. I can tell you are. And we covered a lot today. So I hope everybody listening enjoyed it and got something out of it. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcast. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittistray B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.